Welcome to the Working Mama podcast, a show that provides real-world tips, tricks, and advice to all working mamas on how they can have a career, family, and hopefully one day break the glass ceiling. Well, hey there, Mama. Welcome back to an episode of the Working Mama podcast. I can't believe that I have now said that 99 times. This is my 99th podcast episode that I have released. And I'm so excited that next week it's going to be the 100th. And I'm actually looking around for ideas on what to do. So if you do have any ideas, suggestions, a few people have actually said to me about doing, you know, the collection of the 100 episodes. But if you've got any ideas, I would love to hear from you. And yes, there will be a special for the Working Mama Village membership which has been created on the journey of having the podcast. And it was something that I wanted to actually go a little bit deeper on, supporting working mums, and that's the reason why I created the Working Mama Village. So stay tuned. But as I said, let me know if you've got any ideas on how to celebrate 100 episodes. So getting to today's episode, episode 99, there's a lot at the moment around flexible work, how to make it work for you And I was even having a chat with someone this week about, you know, being in the office, first working from home and and what you want. And there's so many different meanings as well around flexible work. And it's not just about the location that you work. It's certainly around time and the hours that you work as well. So I am speaking with Belinda Morgan this week on the Working Mama podcast, and she's a flexible work expert. We go into so much. and. Out of this as well, she's got some really great hints and tips to help you have conversations with your employer, but also if you are a manager listening to this, also how to have those conversations with your team. This episode has been brought to you by the Working Mama Village, a community network and with resources and masterclasses and everything you name it to support you on your journey as a working mum. So let's get into today's episode with Belinda. Welcome, Belinda. Welcome to the Working Mama podcast. How's your day going so far? Really great. Thanks, Karina, and thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. My pleasure. And I think we're definitely going to be talking about a topic that a lot of people are interested in, and I guess also the in the post-COVID world around flexible work and, and how they can make it work for them. So I'm really looking forward to getting into today's chat. But before we get into that, how would you best describe yourself and what's been your career journey so far? Yeah, thanks, Karina. Interesting question. How do I describe myself? I think when I was reflecting on this, I think I'm someone who's always been interested in exploring possibilities and not just accepting the way things are, which has kind of driven me to move into this flexible working space. Also exploring more literally now that I think of that. I love, really love traveling to new places and excited to be out doing that a bit more again this year. And probably also someone who is really passionate about the work that I do, but equally passionate about the idea that work's just one part of our lives, that we as a society need to put more focus and more importance on making space for the rest of our lives. So yeah, that's a couple of things that come to mind in terms of how I how I describe myself. <laughs> and then career journey so far. Gosh, I'm 44 years old and there's been a few twists and turns. So I won't regale you with the whole thing, but I started out my days after uni as an accountant, working as an auditor in a big four firm. And I think one thing that's really interesting as I reflect back on that time is the environment that I landed in, in terms of a work perspective, was what you'd imagine that kind of really long hours, just expected of everyone being there. Yeah, being there very long hours, working really hard. And even back then in my early 20s, I kind of landed there and thought, well, this is weird. Why are we all doing this? And why should we have to? And I want to come to work and do interesting, exciting work and meet nice people. But I don't want to be here till 10 o'clock every night. And I also was looking around and looking at what was ahead and saw lots of partners who were just, you know, some of them really loved what they did and some less so, but they were just prioritising work above all else, I guess, because that's what was expected to the detriment of the rest of their lives and their families even potentially. 
So even right back then, earlier on in my career, I was kind of questioning the way we work on reflection and ended up only staying in that firm a year for that very reason, moving to a smaller or more mid-sized accounting firm with a lot more of the flexibility that I was interested in built into the role then. So more sensible working hours, the ability to take chunks of time off to travel, things like that. And then from there, I've become a leadership consultant, a management consultant, and now into the flexible working space in terms of a path. But always with this theme of how do I how do I build in a way of working, whether that's flexible working or however else you want to describe it, that works for me and where I'm at with my life and my circumstances. And of course, kids changed what that looked like a number of years ago now. But yeah, I think in terms of a career journey, it's really interesting just to reflect on wherever I've gone, that's been a theme and probably why I've then landed in flexible working as a career and as something I'm really interested in exploring and helping others with. It's interesting how, yeah, that has been that common theme. And from such a young age, you know, just leaving university of like, well, do I really want to do these long hours? And it's interesting because back, you know, over 20 years ago, that was pretty much the norm. If you're seeing your your peers and, and the older people around you that have been there for a lot longer of actually doing the long hours and just doing the slog because that was what was expected. Certainly, fast forward to today, that's such a different way um, of actually having that. Yeah, it's interesting how just work has evolved and the work environment has evolved over those years as well. Absolutely. Although I would say there's still plenty of places out there that do expect those crazy long hours, but definitely there's been (laughs) a lot of progress in the last 20 years, I agree 100%. Yeah, I think it's a sliding scale downwards, hopefully, Mm. of those long hours Mm. because I think there's a stat Mm. that if you work over 55 hours, uh, your productivity actually starts to decrease rather than increase. So just because you're working the long hours, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be most efficient in in that way. Mm. And how do you think that flexible work, so what you saw in your early 20s and what you were striving for with flexible work, how do you think that that's evolved? And I know certainly, again, COVID has helped, you know, flexible work evolve and even the conversation around flexible work evolve. And what are you seeing some trends and and challenges as well? Because I know that as much as we talk about flexible work, there's a different perspective on on who you talk with. Mm, Absolutely. And look, of course, COVID has massively accelerated the conversation when it comes to the question of where we work. So, you know, are we working at home? Are we working in the office? Is it a combination or hybrid as we talk about? And that's been amazing, you know, that kind of paradigm shift in terms of what we both believe to be possible and what employers accept is possible and all the evidence that we now have in terms of working from home or working from anywhere people can be just as productive if not more so as in the office so that's been incredible I think interestingly though what has been left behind a bit is the conversation around how much and when we work so I think as I saw what was happening through COVID starting to emerge I kind of hoped and I even wrote in my book when I was talking about what COVID was doing to the flexible working discussion that I hoped that it would accelerate the discussion around, you know, when I say when and how much, I mean things like part-time work and job share and, you know, do we all have to do our hours between nine and five or can we, you know, do them at a time that suits us and fits in with our schedule in, in the rest of our lives? And we didn't, in my view, see that accelerate as much as I would have liked. So I feel like that's been left behind a bit, which is a shame, but that's where the opportunity lies now because there's just... So much evidence. I mean, there was a survey even from, you might have heard of an outfit called Future Forum who are backed by mm. Slack and do research into, because you're nodding into, into flexible working. And they found last year that 80% of all knowledge workers want flexibility in where they work. So that's massive. But then actually even more, so 94% want flexibility in when they work. So that, you know, another way or another phrase for that could be schedule flexibility. So can I do my work when it best suits me? And for professional type workers, that could just be, you know, logging off at 3 p.m. to pick up the kids and then logging back on at 7 o'clock after they're in bed for a couple of hours. But it can also be built in for people doing shift work around having a lot more choice over when they're rostered on and how many shifts they get and, you know, being able to request days off for special occasions and things like that. So to answer your question, the conversation is evolving a lot, but more so on that 
location flexibility than time flexibility, I would say, and that's where the opportunity lies. Mm. And how can people overcome then that time element? And I even know of someone recently she left a job because she was actually getting pressured, like, right, you've got to work between these hours of nine and five. And she was like, well, I want to be able to take my, say, my kids off for a dentist appointment in the middle of the day, mm. but then maybe log back on at night. And then her manager was like, no, you've got to work these hours because that's what it is. And she was trying to challenge that, but couldn't actually get a lot of support because it's not written in policies and things like that. So what do organisations and even managers need to do to actually keep up with this conversation as what you say around around that time? Yeah, really good question, Karina. It's a tricky one because often, you know, even with the best of intentions, managers and organisations just feel like it's better to work in the way that they know it works or the way that they know it works. Yeah, they're in their safe zone, right? It works. Well yep. enough, yeah, exactly. And, you know, from an individual perspective, I think the best thing that you can do when you come up against that or the person who's asking for the flexibility is maybe ask for a trial as one thing. So often when people get pushed back around asking for any form of flex, if they've tried everything else, I often recommend, like, you know, can we just test this out for a month? Like, let me do my work, you know, in your example, in the hours that work for me. And, you know, are there some compromises we come up we can come up with to put into place in this trial but why don't we give a few tweaks a go and see how it goes for a month can be one way to approach it and some managers will be open to that because that feels safe enough okay then if it doesn't work at the end of the month then we can go back to the way things were and often the trial will be successful other things of course are talk which I'm sure the person who you're referring to would have thought about but you know talk to the HR team if you've got one and got an HR rep available and get their support if you can Sometimes, though, as an individual, you might just find the organisation or the manager in question isn't willing to budge no matter what you try. And I guess then you've just got to make a choice. Do I stay here and suck it up or do I look for a new environment where the flexibility that I want will be more acceptable? And that's, I guess, a shame for their employers if they're losing if they're losing people because they're not willing to experiment with different types of flexibility. So then from the organisation's perspective, just flipping that, I guess being open to just trying some new things and taking this mindset of we're all learning, you know, no one knows how to do flexible working perfectly yet or what the perfect arrangement is for our organisation. Let's treat this as a bit of an experiment. Give something a go if someone wants it and find a way that we can make it a win-win. Yeah. And it's are you seeing trends with from an employee employment perspective of the organisations that are advocating for flexible work that they're attracting probably the better talent? And I put better, you know, you know, who define mm. better talent. But, you know, if you, their organisation saying, right, you've got to work in the office nine till five, five days a week, that that's not such a draw card for people? Absolutely. I mean, just anecdotally, and I'm sure you'd be the same, Karina, so many people I know, if they're not being offered the flexibility they want in their own workplace, they're looking elsewhere because they know so many more organisations are trying to particularly give this location flexibility or, you know, hybrid working ago but even when it comes to things like part-time work and job share there has been some shift even though I would say not enough as I mentioned and so definitely people are looking elsewhere and organizations who are thinking about what does the future of flexible working look like and trying to make some changes are going to be attracting the best talent and the most diverse talent as well of course because as well as it being a preference for some people working flexibly some people absolutely need to work flexibly whether that's from home or part-time hours um, for all sorts of reasons. And so if you want to be attracting not only the best but the most diverse talent, you need to be thinking about how you can accommodate people's requirements. Yeah, definitely. And I like the quote that you actually recently shared in a LinkedIn article and it says, the five-day week is a 19th century construct that is not fit for purpose in the 21st century. And I know that like Henry Ford created the 40-hour week like over 100 years ago. It's such an interesting way that we are still in these patriarchal, very archaic systems and structures that were created not for a, a digital world as what it is today. What's what's your view on on how really the, our workplace has changed and what can you see as, as some of those real benefits? Because I know even through COVID, not everyone understands what flexible work is and everyone goes, oh, you might be able to work from home. As you say, it's location-based. But it's not just about location is it 
Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Yeah, that is a really good quote. I think from memory, I was quoting there Andrew Barnes, who's the founder or one of the founders of the four-day week movement, which we can talk about in a moment in the context of kind of time flexibility, which is really interesting. But yeah, it is so interesting to reflect on. And, you know, if you're interested in this, you can Google it. You'll find so much stuff for anyone listening around the history of work and how the five-day week came about. You know, people were working even longer hours, six or seven days a week in the you know, industrial area and Henry Ford bringing in the five-day week, but it's, you know, being set hours in a fixed location and how that served its purpose at that time and was a great step forward, but how it's probably not fit for purpose anymore, which is not to say it doesn't suit anyone anywhere ever, but there's so many other different ways that we can be thinking about work given the type of work people do now, given the technology we have at our fingertips and given what we've seen, particularly in recent years, and going back to what you mentioned earlier, actually, Karina, around more hours does not equal more output. You know, in a factory environment, it is a little bit more like that to a degree, of course. But (laughs) when you're thinking about creative work and knowledge work, often more hours or more hours does, the research shows, give a diminishing return over time. And so, Yeah, really interesting to think about where we're heading and how this idea, you know, back to the four-day week is coming into play. So, you know, once again, I did mention I don't think that time flexibility in most organisations has gotten as much spotlight and as much progression as it should. But there is this four-day week idea that's popped up in recent years and the four-day week global organisation is doing amazing things with helping organisations, even governments of whole countries, experiment with this idea of reducing the hours that people work from five days to four or taking 20% of their work away whilst whilst retaining their pay. So traditional part-time work, of course, you might take a, or you do take a 20% pay cut if you drop mm-hmm. a day a week. So this four-day week concept's different in that you work 20% less, you retain your same pay, on the condition that you deliver the same outputs. And all the trials have been showing across the globe now that that is perfectly possible, that organisations are either maintaining or even increasing their output when people reduce their hours by 20%, which is quite amazing. Yeah, the 180, 100, I think Mm. you've seen it around. Mm. What about the people that are like, right, you're not working five days and you're getting it like you've actually then condensing that work? what about those naysayers are like, how is that even possible? Is it because I know even when I, before I had kids, I worked five days a week. I went back to work the first, after my first two mat leaves of three days a week. And now I've actually settled on four. And I really like four as a good balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and I've now also realized how much fat I used to have in my five days of like, oh, going off for coffee, going out for lunch. And, and that is it, that we do have a bit of a buffer and we know that we're maybe Friday afternoon after lunch, which is not productive. We know mm. that what it's like. Is it also encouraging those conversations? But what can we do against those naysayers? Like, well, you know, you need to be here and I need to be able to see you and what are four days? It's less than five and and some of those counterclaims. Mm. That's really interesting because I think there is an element of when we work five days, which is so many hours of our week, we do have a buffer or whatever you want to describe it built into the way we work sometimes in that we can't actually concentrate eight hours in a row or even with a Mm. lunch break and we have other things we need to do like book a doctor's appointment for the kids or you know for ourselves or pay a bill or whatever other things we might need to do and so often we'll do a little bit of that within work hours and still get the job done it's not to say people who are doing that are being lazy it's just the reality is you know take a 10 minute break get something done go back to doing some work and So there is a little bit of that kind of there's just a buffer or a bit less productivity built in when we work five days is what we see. But also just around, I don't know if the right word is habits, but what I guess is common work culture around things like meetings and things like are we building in focus time and are we, you know, looking at our emails every 10 minutes and getting distracted. And so what, what people or organisations who experiment with the four-day week really focus on and what the four-day week global recommends is really, as well as just, you know, the fact that people will have more time to deal with life admin on that fifth day that they're now not working, there's also a lot to be gained by thinking about how do we reduce meeting time? We're all spending way too much time in meeting. It's ridiculous. How do we make that more efficient? 
how do we use technology more mindfully to enhance the way we work rather than hinder us and distract us all the time and things like that. So I think, you know, back to the question around the naysayers, I think most organisations and in most teams and most roles, you can achieve a lot more in a lot less time just by rethinking some of the ways that we've all worked for many, many years and thinking about how we can intentionally be more productive and design work a little bit differently. Yeah, and it's not necessarily as well about the quantity. It's also, you know, often about the quality and and the outputs that you're doing. And uh, Mm -hmm. you could easily work five days a week, but are you going to be, as you said, having those same outputs? You could generally do it. I even know when I, as I said, before I start, had kids, I remember Friday afternoon after lunch, I'm like, I'm, I'm done for the week, but I've got to stay mm. here because I need to look like I'm I'm still doing things and that. So on the four-day week for all the research that's been done, I know there's been some great research that's been done in both, you know, the UK and New Zealand and also recently research has come out in Australia. What have been some of the, the benefits and, and advantages for not only the employee but also the employer mm. that have that have trialed a four-day week? Yeah, so many actually, which is what's really exciting about it. So there's, you know, the business benefits for the employer around productivity. Overall, the trials are showing, as I said, that it's either that organisations are either able to maintain output or even improve it as people reduce their hours, which is really interesting. Absenteeism rates are falling dramatically. So in the recent Australian trial, I think it was 44 but I think they fell by 44% absenteeism. Huge. Yeah, massive, which, you know, I think, I don't know because I haven't looked into the detail behind these stats, but I imagine there's an element of there's more time to get stuff done when you've got a three-day weekend. Also people, and the stats do show this, you know, burnout and stress are reducing because you're not spending so much of your life absorbed in work. And so that would be reducing the absenteeism. Resignations as well reducing a lot. So I think it was also 44% in terms of the reduction resignations in this Australasian trial recently. So that's, you know, that's some pretty massive business benefits right there. For individuals, of course, there's that, you know, reduction in stress and burnout. I just mentioned ability to spend more time with family. So there's something they measure around work-family conflict and that having reduced significantly. Also gender equality, if we think about families and society and how and how that can benefit in terms of the research actually shows that men in heterosexual relationships spending more time on housework and caring responsibilities when they're part of these four-day week trials. So, yeah, so many benefits. And the other one is the environment. I've heard about, you know, if we're all commuting less often, then there's less impact in terms of traffic and the environment as well. Now that's huge. And I, and I remember one of the stats, as you pointed out, that really rang out for me was in that gender equality and fathers taking on more of the, the caring arrangements. So I'm a big believer that if you can get the mental load and, and have better balance at home, that also then transcends into workplaces and because then they realize and acknowledge the caring arrangements. And, and certainly having that better equality makes such a big difference. So I guess these four-day weeks, often when we think about flexible work, we instantly think working mums. But Mm. interestingly, throughout these trials, it's both men and women doing these trials, Mm. isn't it? Mm. Men and women and, of course, people who aren't parents because, you know, once again, we often think working mums and then if we extend that, oh, they may be working dads too. But as I mentioned earlier, there's so many reasons everyone wants to have some flexibility and there's so many reasons many people need to have some flexibility. And so, yeah, these trials really impacting everyone across whole organisations. It's really, really great to see what what that can drive. And, you know, there's the gender, there's that immediate kind of gender equality piece at home. But I also think over time, what we'll see is if men have more time and encourage more to do more of the stuff at home, then of course, that frees up women to be able to put more effort into career as well. If they've been taking on the whole load and suddenly have less, yeah, hopefully that then plays out in terms of people being able to equally contribute in the more senior level roles and, you know, the following impact on gender equality there. Yes, that'd be amazing that in five years, like, you know, even in a couple of years time mm. we're talking about this <laughs> and we certainly are able to to have that in there. What's making some, what's been the impetus for some of these organisations doing the trials? And it's also not 
like standard or like, you know, a consulting company or something like that. I also mm-hmm. saw that Bunnings as a retail organization are bringing this in, which I know actually got quite a lot of headline because it's breaking that mold as well about what is flexible work and which industries that applies to. Mm. I think what's driving it is for some organizations that's around, well, this is where the future of work may be heading and sounds like an exciting idea. Let's give it a go. And what I see is often, well, probably always, I would argue, even although I don't have evidence for this, the organisations who are picking it up, those at the top are excited about the idea. Otherwise, it's just never going to be implemented. So, you know, this sounds like an exciting idea. The trials look good. It's probably where the future is heading. Let's give it a go. But also, I imagine some employers are getting questions and pressure from employees around this four-day week concepts out there. What are we doing about it? So that might be driving them to think about it a bit. The Bunnings one's a really interesting one, actually, because they are, and there has been media this week around them trialling a four-day week. It's interesting, though, if you look into the detail, and it's still a, an amazing thing for Bunnings to be doing, it's actually more a compressed week in that employees in their, you know, their retail employees will still work the same number of hours, say 38 if that's what they're working in the week. They'll just be able to compress it into four longer days as opposed to five days. So that's great for people who want to pick that up. It's not technically what the four-day week global will call a four-day week in that, you know, you reduce your hours by 20%. Mm. And I think that's a really interesting thing to think about and I don't really know what the answer is yet in that it is trickier in a retail environment or other kind of shift work environments to think about if all these hours in the week still need to be covered and people need to be there and be customer facing, how can you reduce people's hours whilst giving them the same pay? How is that viable for a business? And I'm sure there will be answers out there. I just don't know what they are yet and I'm going to need to explore it more versus what we were talking about earlier in more, you know, office-based or professional or whatever you want to call it environments where we can find ways to deliver the same outputs and not be there as much time, you know, Mm. just set it up that we're not there on a Friday and that's fine. So, yeah, really great that Bunnings is trialling this. I'm not trying to dish what Bunnings is doing. I think that's incredible for the people at Bunnings who would prefer this compressed work week option to spreading their hours out across the week. But there is still this kind of disparity between what's possible or what's seen to be possible in those environments versus in an office-based environment. Yeah, and it's interesting about how they've got the headline, but yeah, as you say, once you read the detail, it's not always necessarily there. Are there some other industries that you're noticing that there is a trend there? And is that driven obviously by employees, but they're also trying to do it as an employer branding and attraction method as well? Mm, I've seen a number of professional services organisations trialling four-day weeks or even nine-day fortnights. So Grant Thornton in Australia, who's a accounting firm in the process or in the middle of a nine-day fortnight trial, which is a similar concept. And I think that's that's really exciting because, and I've worked in professional services organisations most of my career, actually, and what I've seen is this mindset often around, well, clients won't accept that we're not here every day of the week, so therefore it's just not possible. Let's not even consider the idea of, you know, part-time. Or if you go part-time, maybe you can't be on the biggest high-profile projects because the client's not going to like it. And so I think it's exciting to see those mindsets being challenged and people saying, actually, I think clients will be perfectly happy with this. They're people too. And, you know, when we've trialled it with them, they've had no 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 objections, which is what often happens in practice and professional organisations starting to pick up this idea of four-day week or even nine-day fortnight as well. Yeah, it was actually interesting you say that my husband works for a law firm and, mm. and I said to him the other day, I said, what about you put on flexible work because they're trying to attract in some new lawyers? I said, why don't you put on your website about that you've got flexible work? And he said, oh, no, we couldn't possibly do that because what are the clients going to say? He said, oh, our mm. website's, you know, not for employees. I said, it's, you know, for, for attracting clients. I was like, Oh my goodness, like with my communications hat on, <laughs> it's it's sometimes very difficult to bite my tongue and also as an advocate for flexible work and as working mum. But yeah, he's like, oh, I know that the, it'll sit with him and hopefully he'll eventually change it. But it's one of those things that it's, yeah, as you just said, it's about the people are concerned about the perceptions about what's going to give their clients. And But I'm like, but it's also your website's a, an employee, employee attraction tool as well. Absolutely. And I really believe there's a lot of clients out there who would see that and go, 
that aligns with my values around yeah. work as well. Therefore, I'd like to work with that law yeah. firm, actually. So it's interesting. I mean, I'm not to say, not to say there's no, no one out there who might find that, you know, oh, actually, I don't want to work with a law firm who has flexible working. There might still be some people out there. But, yeah, it's interesting. I coach a lot of people in kind of senior level roles who want to work part-time or are working part-time and, you know, thinking about how they can do it better. And this comes up so often, this, you know, what about the customers or clients in terms of something that might be a challenge? And 99% of the time you have a conversation with a client about it, you know, whether it's I don't work Wednesdays, but so-and-so is available if you need something urgent or, you know, of course in an emergency you can pick up the phone and call me and I'll pick up on my day off. But, you know, in most instances, here's the here's the backup plan. And clients being so open to it is what we see in almost every single circumstance or even, you know, appreciating, oh, I really know a little bit more about your life now, you know, the fact that you do X, Y and Z on a Wednesday, whether it's care for kids or, you know, work for a charity or it can actually even strengthen the relationship rather than, rather than have it deteriorate. So, yes, a big one that needs to be challenged more, I think. Yeah, I think it's also, as you said, it's about people sharing what they're doing and, and their lives and, and actually personalising mm. it. It's that human-to-human connection that mm. you're not just an email but you're you're a person that's behind behind that. Are there, mm. and obviously we talk about flexible work with, with working mums, but are there some common strategies for if you don't have the opportunity at the moment to take on a four-day-a-week trial? But if you're looking to request flexible work, albeit time, location, you know, how much you do and and all that, are there ways that people can start those conversations within their organisations? Absolutely. I think, yeah, it's a really common question. How do I even get myself set up to have the conversation so that I've got more chance of getting it across the line? And I think that's something really great to be thinking about before you just dive in and go and chat to your manager. So There's a couple of things I always recommend and the first one might sound a bit strange but it's really important and it's around building your own conviction. So getting clear on why whatever arrangement you're looking for, let's say it's part-time work, is really important to you. So, you know, why, how it's going to help you as a person, how it might help your family and those around you if it's, you know, for caring reasons or, you know, why you want to role model it to others. So get clear on, you know, why it's important to you. But also get clear on, you know, and even make some notes if it's helpful on how having flexible working in place can benefit employers. So build that conviction piece too around, because often we go in with the mindset around, I'm asking for a favour from my employer. Maybe even feel a little bit guilty about asking for this favour. And if you go in with that mindset, it's a much tougher conversation. If you go in this conviction, it's really important to me. And also there's something in it for you as an employer to get better at this flexible working piece, not least of which you'll be able to retain me and my skills and experience longer, of course. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so build build conviction as step one before you go in. And then the other thing I'd say is just, and most people would do this naturally, but put some thought into what objections your manager or, you know, other people in your organization might have about you asking for this and what your response is to them or how you might make it work so if they're if you know the common objection as we've talked about is what about the customer have a think about what's going to happen with the customer when you're on your day off or when you're you know working from home when you might normally see them face to face or whatever type of flexibility you're working towards so just put some thought into here's how I think we could make it work both for the manager who you work with, your colleagues, your customers, any other stakeholders you deal with regularly so that when you're in that conversation, you can go, well, actually, had a thought of, had, I've had to think about this and A, B, C, D is the plan, um, which is not to say it all should be on you to make it work. In an ideal world, your employer and your manager are really open to working through with you how they can support you to make it work as well. But in the initial conversation, having your own ideas makes a big difference. And then what about having that conversation with the manager? Is it something that you set up a formal meeting with? Is it an email? How do you then have that mm. probably initiate that conversation? I'd say there's no right or wrong answer here. I do think a face-to-face conversation or if you work remotely all the time, a video conversation mm. is ideal. Deal. Maybe you could set it up with an email around want to talk to you around, you know, flexible working possibilities. But definitely as soon as you can, make it a conversation and make sure you, you know, have a 
opportunity for them to raise any questions or concerns they have so that you can nip them in the bud quickly, ideally, and keep the conversation going. So that's what I definitely recommend. Set it up, you know, think about how you're going to run the conversation, what's in it for them, how you might make it work, all of those things, and just, yeah, talk to them. Yeah. And is there something that according to Fair Work that they have to, if they're going to decline it, they have to come back to you in a certain space? I think it was like 28 days. They've got to decline it, but with a fair and reasonable, you know, reason why it may not work. So it's actually got to be justified. It can't just be a straight no. Yeah, that's right. And the regulations around this are getting a little bit tighter even. I think it's June 6th this year around employers having to consider it, consider the request carefully and actually have, as you say, a very good reason. I can't remember the number of days, but that sounds about right. 20-something days they have to come back to you. Interestingly, though, the legislation still says even in this new role, you need to be in the role 12 months before you make these requests, which is not to say don't make them unless you've been in the role 12 months. Employers obviously often go beyond what's required by the legislation. I do think that legislation is really lagging, even though it's just about to come in in terms of the reality of the workplace these days and that it's really in employers' best interest from day one to be considering how can I give employees the flexibility they want or need rather than that's quite an archaic idea almost having to prove out that you can perform for 12 months and therefore be given flexibility as a perk almost is what kind of the underlying feeling of that is to me as opposed to flexible working is how we work as an organisation. We know it's in everybody's interest. Let's talk about it from day one. So I'm off on a bit of a tangent about the legislation there, but to Back to your original question, yes, absolutely, employers do have to have good reasons now. I think it's, well, I think it's a good tangent to go on because people (laughs) don't always understand the legislation and what, Mm. as an employee, what their rights are and it's, you know, Mm. they don't, no one's always going through the fair work or, or the legislation changes that are happening. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I certainly know that a lot of employees are actually negotiating their flexible, flexible work arrangements even before they start. Mm. So they haven't even been there for 12 months. I know my sister when she was actually going for her current role, she was returning from mat leave and it was advertised as a full-time role, but then she negotiated to actually then work four days a week. So it was part of that negotiation. So, cause I said to her, like, at what point are you going to ask for four days a week? Cause I knew that she didn't want to work for five and, and once she got sort of down the track, yeah, she was then starting to have that conversation and, and things. So, yeah, but I think it's, it's interesting about when people raise it and the way that they raise it and, and also, Now the legislation is supporting people to probably advocate more for flexible work rather than just employers being able to say no and then without being needing to justify it either. Mm, Absolutely. And I love hearing stories like your sisters because I think one of the big gaps, even though there's this four-day week trials going on, one of the big gaps, and I know you and your audience will really resonate with this, is there's just not enough part-time roles or job share roles being advertised. So it's it's still not easy, but it's much easier to move to part-time when you've been in an organisation and in a role and built some credibility versus if you're looking for a new role. There's just not enough out there. So I love hearing stories where people go in and actually negotiate that and apply for full-time roles and then kind of build that in because I think Mm. that's still what's required of us when we're looking for those types of roles. And it's great to hear that organisations are open to it. Yeah, it's one of the things that really breaks my heart is that I said I'm the same. I see lots of women that are wanting to do a part-time or B job share, but mm. there's not the opportunities that you don't see many part-time roles, particularly at a senior level that have actually saying, mm. right, you know, uh, a senior role, you can do this, you know, three or four days a week. It's never advertised. It's always advertised as the full-time role when really it probably could still be a four-day-a-week role as a as a, as a minimum. So it's interesting that, yeah, sadly, often when you see part-time roles, it's more of a junior, not a senior. And really for for working mums, they can get that job done. Mm. It's, it's really sad. And I think something, I saw a stat recently, I think 75% of people would work in a job share arrangement, but at the moment only 2.5% of roles actually are available as a job share. Yeah, it's a really tricky one. And you're right about this misconception around it's not possible in senior level roles. And actually, I wrote a whole book on that last year around how to succeed in a senior level part-time role and interviewed a bunch of people doing just that, even at three days, a number of them. And 
kicking all the goals and, you know, thriving in their careers. And, you know, sometimes they had to prove to an organisation themselves that it was possible on this kind of trial approach and then stick with it. And other times it was just because the organisation was very open to it from day one. But there is plenty of evidence out there that it is possible. It's just really now about how do we how do we start changing employers, line managers, even recruiters' mindsets around what's possible as they're as they're trying to get people into these senior level roles. Mm. What do you think um, yeah. it is that mindset and what are those blocks that people have and how could we possibly or what do you often say to be able to overcome them? Mm. I think it's a really interesting one around a lot of people have this idea that if you're part-time, you're probably part committed as well, that you <laughs> care about your career less than your full-time peers, which in nearly all cases is just absolutely not true. Just because you want to work less hours a week to do other things with your time doesn't mean you don't care about your work in the hours that you are working. And I don't need to tell you this, but yeah, so that's a really interesting misconception that employers often think, well, you know, I want someone who's really committed and don't consider it for that reason. Another one is the just it's not possible misconception. So without having seen evidence of people being able to succeed part-time or job share in senior level roles they just assume it's not possible and so addressing that one I often think is around well here's some evidence you know here's a bunch of other people or here's an article or here's some research or whatever it might be around how all these other people are managing to do it and here's how I intend to make it work and it's just I don't know I think it's so interesting because what I really believe is that actually the more senior you are the more possible it is to work part-time, which I know sounds a bit counterintuitive based on this common misconception we've been talking about, but you've got a team of people around you. It's your job as a leader and as a senior leader to be getting the work done through them, to be empowering them, to setting them up for success, for having a successor in place to take over your role when you're ready to move on. And if you're doing all that stuff well, you really shouldn't need to be there constantly monitoring what everyone's doing or talking to every client if you're in that kind of role, you should be trusting and enabling and supporting your team to be able to do more. So it's an interesting one. Yeah, and probably also cheaper as well, you know, potentially if they, mm. they're having that <coughs> percentage element around, you know, 80%, unfortunately, if they're only being paid 80% of that 100% wage, they're actually more, like they're actually having people around, better outcomes and for the organisation actually a bit, of, a bit cheaper. I've had the same, like I've been able to, come back from mat leaves into a relatively senior role and even going for a new role recently, it was like, oh, you're going to increase your days? And I said, no, actually, I want to stay at four days a week and I think it's working now. So it's also one of my experiences of actually being confident in not feeling guilty about I should be working mm. five days, but also, no, I, as you said earlier about understanding your why, I know what I'm doing, I know why I'm doing it. And I'm feeling comfortable and and certainly a shift from three to four days took me a while to actually get my head around it. It probably took me two months just to realize, as you said, um, you know, resonate and why am I doing this and what am I doing it for? And then now going back four days, I'm like, and upping my days. I was like, yeah. And then a good friend of mine's just done recently the same thing. And she said, yeah, it feels right for me. So it's interesting mm. that even just going from three to four days and making those changes, it's, there's a lot, I think, even as just as working mums and but anyone making those changes, even if you're going from five to four days, it is a mindset shift as well. But also being strong in yourself and your convictions of like, no, I know why I'm doing this. And, and you know, we you're working to live, not live to work kind of debate as well. Mm, mm, yeah, so interesting. I like what you said up front there around the cost saving too, because whether or not it should be the case, you know, there's an argument if you're delivering the same outputs, you should get paid the same as a full-time employee. But you talk to, and I'm sure you can relate to this, any part-time person, they usually say, I'm delivering the same as my colleagues are who are working full-time. I'm just doing it in less hours and getting yeah. paid less, which is not ideal. And absolutely, I'm always a big advocate for rescoping roles down to, you know, what is required should be in line with the hours that you're being paid to work and all those kinds of things. But in reality, people deliver a lot when they're working part-time and there's a lot actually in it for employers from that perspective too. Yeah, so much, so much. Is there anything around part-time work and, and job sharing that, you know, are you seeing trends and, and conversations changing and perceptions around that? Because I, I guess part-time work and job sharing is an element of flexible work that 
as mm. similar to what you're saying around time, it's not as spoken about as much and often attributed to working mums, but yeah, it can also be for anyone for for lifestyle reasons. There's a whole multitude of reasons why people might want to might want to work it and and also then the opportunities of job sharing as well. Mm. I think the conversation and the opportunities are shifting and improving, but it's pretty glacial at the moment from what I see in that as we just talked about, if you're someone who's wanting to work part-time or in a job share role and keep the same level of role, find a really great career-worthy role is one way to describe it, the de- the supply is not meeting the demand. There's a lot of opportunity for organisations to be doing this better in order to attract, you know, sometimes here it called the hidden hidden talent market of all these people who would love to be working part-time or job share roles with amazing skills and experience to offer but who just can't get the jobs that they want and so either drop out of the workforce or end up doing these roles that are not nearly uh, as good or you know not in line with their experience so they're kind of going to a lower level role just because they can get it part-time which is a shame for them and a shame for the employer who could be getting a lot more out of them so Mm. would you suggest people go for a role even if it's advertised full-time but then negotiate and actually see if that organization is open to say four days a week or three days a week and then putting up a bit of a case as part of the recruitment process particularly if they get past that first round yeah I do I would and I do recommend that to people a lot actually it's a question I get asked pretty often and definitely take that approach apply for the full-time roles People often have the question around when do I introduce it, you know, as I'm sending my resume, do they tell them, by the way, I'd like to do this role four days a week? Once again, there's probably no 100% right answer here, but I tend to recommend, and it sounds like this is what your sister did as well, get a few interviews in so that they get a chance to know you, get a chance to see that you are a great fit for the role, and then introduce it. Sometimes that can feel a bit sneaky, like you're keeping something in your back pocket as people's objection often, but... I think just because the flexible work landscape broadly, even though I'm saying in part-time and job share, not so much, but broadly employers are more open and expecting more conversations about flexible working, even if that's primarily remote working or hybrid working. And so I do think they're more open or will be less surprised by the conversation than they would have been five years ago. And also really, what have you got to lose? If you're not going to do that role full-time anyway, you know, you either don't apply or you apply and give it a go. And so really it's, you know, it's worth giving it a go and it's worth, I believe, waiting until they're a little bit bought into the idea that you could be a great fit for the role before you bring it up. Yeah, and certainly you're probably applying for organisations that already have good flexible workplaces policies. So certainly do some mm. research and and if you already know some people that are already in those organisations or anything like that, use them as benchmarks and probably evidence to say, oh, I've seen this or you've said this in the media or something like that to, to enable them. That's such a good approach. And actually years ago when I was, I was working in a consulting firm, but I wanted to try going to an in-house HR role. That's exactly what I did. I, I knew that an ex-colleague of mine worked at the insurance company IAG. They had a really great reputation for flexibility at the time and still do do it well, I believe. And oh, so they're CEO. Believe- I love like her at the start of every year, she always posts a photo mm. about how she works, walks her kids to school and, and, and advocates for flexible work. So, no, I still think they're doing a great job mm-hmm. there. Yeah, exactly. So I kind of went in the back door via that route. He's a company that looks good. I'll see if they've got roles. And I ended up doing a three-day-a-week role with them. So, yeah, definitely a good approach rather than just applying for everything that's on seek. Think about what employers might be the right ones as a yeah. starting point. Fantastic. Now, Belinda, is there anything else you wanted to, hints, tips, advice, anything else you wanted to to share relating to flexible work, part-time work, job sharing, anything else like that? I know we could probably talk about this on for hours, <laughs> but you think that would be of interest? Well, gosh, big question. I reckon if you're someone who's looking to work more flexibly, my biggest tip is just ask for it, go out and have the conversation and just find out what's possible because employers will be more open to the conversation. So ask for it and, as I said, make sure you've got this plan in place to think about how you're going to implement it as well. And for employers, I think a really interesting thing to be thinking about is making sure you've got a really clear proposition around your flexible working policy strategy, whatever you want to call it, because it is what people are after and, you know, maybe you're not ready to 
leap into a four-day week trial or go fully remote and give people that option. But what are you willing to offer? And, you know, just stretch your thinking a bit on that and make that clear to people so, no, we don't offer a four-day week here. It's not something we're looking at at the moment, but we have an excellent part-time work policy and we encourage part-time work and job share. And, you know, we're trying to encourage more senior leaders to role model that and, you know, just think about how you can push the boundaries in the areas of flexible working that you do think will make sense for you and where you're at in your organisation at the moment. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I know that I've certainly got a lot out of it as someone who does work flexibly and both also from a time perspective, but also a hybrid work location. So what, how can people get in touch with you and find out more about your book and your services? Yeah, thanks, Karina. So BelindaMorgan.com is my website. LinkedIn is the platform I'm on most often in terms of social media. So absolutely jump on LinkedIn and connect with me there. Otherwise, if you wanted to drop me an email at any time, it's Belinda at BelindaMorgan.com. No, fantastic. Lovely. And you've got information about your book as well that you've been speaking about on, on the website? Yeah, yeah. So it's called Solving the Part-Time Puzzle. And as I mentioned, it's all about how to succeed. It's really a practical guide to succeeding in a senior level part-time role. Yes. So. Which is great to see those stories and hear about it because yeah, part-time is not just for a junior level role if you're you're thinking about it, but as a senior level person, you certainly can and should want to have those senior positions in that. So thank you so much for advocating and sharing those stories in in that space because yeah, we need more people role modeling and, and and actually showing what's possible. So thank you so much, Belinda, for today. It's been such a great chat and yeah, look forward to speaking with you in the future. Thanks, Karina. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Working Mama podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast catch up. Please also feel free to contact me on any of the Working Mama social channels. Remember, Mama is M-U-M-M-A or website www.workingmama.com.au. I would appreciate you to share this podcast with friends and colleagues, especially those that are parents managing the juggle. And I would really appreciate if you had to take the time out to leave a review of the podcast. Thank you and see you next time. Have a great week. (music) 